Hi, everyone, and welcome to another exciting edition of Words, Images, and Worlds. Everyone is exciting to me. I think I intro them all that way. I am delighted to be talking this evening with author Catherine Ryan Hyde. Thank you so much for talking with us. And may I call you Catherine, Miss Hyde? Oh, I'm uh, supposed to call me Catherine. Catherine, Hyde. okay. I don't know. There's something off about that. It makes it seem like I'm on one level and everybody else is on another one. And I don't have a lot of patience for that in people. So definitely Catherine. Yeah. All right. All right. I can do that. I can do that. So I'll mention at the top that you are the author of over 45 books, books that are released and also in development um, because living the life of a writer, I know that you have projects that are in that that sort of chain of publication that haven't quite uh, dropped yet. Yeah, I have one in production that's going to come out in December and we're, we're working on uh, agreeing on a cover. I just started the developmental edits for the one that's going to come out next May. And I'm 100 pages into the one that's going to come out next December. So it's funny, I had somebody ask that. me on Facebook today because, you know, I have a book that's releasing tomorrow. And she, <laughs> said, I, she said, are you just starting a new one right now as we speak? And I'm like, whoa, that would make me so late. <laughs> you know, I release two a year. I don't get to start the next one when this one comes out. So there, yeah. Yeah, there's a whole chain of them kind of, you know, lined up like planes on a runway that people don't necessarily see so i think it's you know it's funny i was thinking i was getting up toward 50 and then i counted this morning and it seems like the one i'm working on is 47 i keep thinking i'm forgetting one yeah. so i thought it was more but it's all a high class problem you know right right <laughs> when you can't keep track of how many books that's got to be good that's a very good thing that's a very good thing um, lots of your words to to share with the world. The one that's coming out tomorrow is just a regular boy. Yeah, just yeah. a regular boy. Originally, it was called The Survivalist Son. But for some reason, that didn't make it by marketing. I don't entirely know why. It has something to do with, like, what comes up when you look this up on a search engine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I guess it was bringing up too too much like heavy deep political information the book is um, not political particularly i mean one one might make a a guess about the political beliefs of his father but but basically it's well i don't know you'll you'll tell me if you want to know more about that oh yeah yeah absolutely it's the book that's coming tomorrow so we will yes, the book is coming out tomorrow as a matter of fact i just reminded everybody on facebook and other uh, social media today that if they pre-ordered the kindle if they look somewhere around nine o'clock pacific time tonight they're gonna see it appear suddenly on their kindle which always makes Love this it. kind of an exciting day for me because i'm waiting for you know first sightings uh yeah just a regular boy is a is a story about a a, a young guy named remy who when he's five years old his father uh, his mother has passed away mm -hmm. and his father sells her house and, and he he's in kind of a paranoid mindset. He thinks society is about to collapse. So he takes them to this very remote area in Idaho where they 
where they'll survive, you know, the collapse of society, uh, which kind of, I mean, Remy hates it up there, but it's kind of all well and good until the father dies of a heart attack and nobody knows that the kid is up there. So by the time, and I, obviously I don't want to do too many spoilers, and but it is clear fairly early on that he's going to end up in a foster family. <clears throat> Before he ends up in a foster family, he he really he goes through a lot, and in, you know, in addition to the hardships, you know, the actual physical hardships, he really doesn't know if his father was right. He, he doubts it, but he just doesn't know what to believe. He goes back and forth. So when he ends up in this foster home, and half the book is written from his point of view, and half of it is written from the point of view of his foster mom. Um, you know, he the, her challenge, by the time he ends up in a foster home, her challenge is that she wants to convince him that his father was wrong. The world is a, a better, more stable place than that. But is it? Like, what does she, I mean, I don't, and I don't say that in a super pessimistic way, but what does she really want to tell him about the world? Does she really want to tell him, oh no, you can trust society be, to be going in a good direction. I mean, what happens is the whole foster family has to kind of decide what they think of the world. Yeah so that they can tell this kid what he might want to think about the world. And it's a bit of an exploration into a subject that fascinates me, which is um, if, if we're clear-eyed about life, we know that the world is a, can, can certainly be a dangerous and unpredictable place. Mm -hmm. So how do we go about you know, loving our lives and loving the world, which I certainly think is possible, without really being in denial about that. It's a very yeah. delicate balancing act, what to make of this world we're in. And fortunately, it's absolutely endless material for novels. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I will true. never run out of stories in a world like this one. Anyway, that's enough about the book I have coming out tomorrow. Uh, and I'll also say, um, really interesting, not metaphor, but way of thinking about survival. Because, I mean, thinking about the young boy by himself, but yeah. then also thinking about, well, how are adults surviving? How are adults making sense of this world? Right. And then to to pass that on to a youth, that's it's a fascinating way of going about that story. Yeah, there's nothing cut and dried about it, I will say that. I mean, there's no one simple conclusion, you know, by the time it's done. You know, I, when I write a book, it's usually because I have a question on my mind. And strange though it may sound to say, the purpose of writing the novel is not to answer it. Because if it was a question easily answered, I probably wouldn't get a whole novel out of it. Mm. It's more like an exploration of a question with no simple answer. The journey. Yeah. And then hopefully it makes for good book club discussions. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, you also, you write characters really deeply and really well. And very often in the books of yours that I enjoy most, they're young characters. Um, thinking about underground or boy underground, 
um, Dreaming of Flight. Both of those have characters, or at least one of the characters who's fairly young. Um, More often than not. Yeah, the last one that I had out so long, Chester Wheeler, does hmm. not have a young character in it. And it doesn't have any animals in it either. It's a little bit different. It it does have the, which is very common in my books, it does have the people from two very, very different generations mm-hmm. kind of coming together, trying to understand each other. But yes, most most of them do have, most of them are um, what is referred to as, as coming of age. Mm-hmm. It's a fairly not terribly well understood um, genre or classification. A lot of people get confused as to whether I write young adult. I actually don't. Mm-hmm. That's the fact right. that it has a young adult in it does not necessarily make it young adult. Coming of age is when you write about a character of that age, but that's not necessarily your intended audience. Yeah, that, But that, I didn't yeah. over-talk your question. Oh, no, no, you're you're good. That, that gets right where I was headed with that, which is thinking oh. about... Um, they're not young adult novels, but you write young adults so well. I'm just wondering how you kind of step in that framework you were talking about, thinking about the the points of view of different characters and writing from those points of view. Well, that's um, that's really right to the heart of what an author does. You know, they I mean, they say write what you know, but when you get up around your 47th or 48th book, Boy, you better know an awful lot if you're limited to writing what you know. A couple things about that. First of all, um, there are a lot of characters I write about who I have never been. You know, I've I've never been a teenage boy growing up as the Second World War is starting. I write about all kinds of things I haven't done. But when I write about younger characters, I mean, we've all been kids. We've all been teenagers. Some people, I think, are not all that emotionally clear on how that used to feel. Fortunately or unfortunately, I will never forget that. I will never forget how it felt to be in those coming-of-age years. So I do kind of, you know, have that personal experience with it. But the other thing is, with characters who I am not, with really with all the characters... My goal is to get down underneath those differences, young, old, male, female, black, white, you know, all these things, you know, speaking this language, speaking that language, all the things that we think of as being our differences, air quotes, um, you, you get not even too far down underneath that and you get just a human being like all the other human beings. That's kind of the place where I'm trying to write from. I really honestly feel that under under about an inch of differences, we got a whole very deep river of what it means to be human that doesn't vary that much from one person to the next. I mean, we we want to feel safe. We want to be loved. We want our loved ones to be safe. We want to be appreciated. I mean, there are really just a big handful of emotions that anyone who's ever been a person can understand. So really the way I step into these characters is, is to just write from the level of their humanity to just 
I know how they feel because I know how it feels to be human. Mm -hmm. And then readers get to follow you for the journey. Yeah. And what I've discovered is if I write about how it feels to be human, that seems to kind of resonate with a cross section of readers. My goal is kind of to kind of shine this light on the human condition where I'm really pointing out how human we are, but I don't mean for that to be the bad news. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Usually when somebody talks about being human, oh yeah, we make all these mistakes and we have all these foibles. Yes, we do, but I also feel that um, human is what we were meant to be. So I try to put this spotlight on it where, where you're experiencing what it feels like to be a human, but you don't end up feeling bad about that. That's what I'm trying for anyway. Oh, that, yeah, the, the redemption, the possibilities for good, that's also yeah. very much what makes us human. Yeah, you know, I, um, <clears throat> I'm a person who is, um, for the last... 34 years of my life, I've been in 12-step recovery. Um, and so I, I was kind of a very at-risk youth. And I threw away a lot of my life on, on some very um, unproductive pursuits. And so I think that might be why it it is um, kind of a special uh, interest of mine that nobody get thrown away. That nobody is judged as, well, that's a lost cause. Nobody's a lost cause. If you're still alive, your life can turn on a dime tomorrow. You just really don't know. So there's a lot of that comes up in the work. As a matter of fact, a lot of this, that comes up in just a regular boy. I mean, this this boy is like, you know, so far gone by the time he comes back into civilization. It's not even really clear whether he can live with a family and I'm just coming from the place like he's a person and nobody needs to be thrown away. Absolutely. Yeah. As an educator, I often hear that phrased as, well, those kids or that kid or yeah. never going to amount to anything. And I'm going, we don't have that crystal ball. We definitely don't. <laughs> I I might have been one of the ones that somebody would have said never will amount to anything. It was very troubled. I had a teacher once who told me I'd never make anything out of my life if I daydreamed all day long. Mm -hmm. Guess who had the last laugh on that one? 47 books in. <laughs> yeah, because I actually now make a, a really a delightful living uh, making up stories. So you have to be careful what you put on kids. Yeah, well said. Very well said. Um, what's, your, what's your secret to that generativity? That I honestly don't know. I have always written fast. I have always written fast. It's just how I write. I don't know why there's a discrepancy between the speed at which I write and the speed at which other authors write. I know there are other authors who write more the way I do. And I don't really know what the difference is between us and, and someone else. Um, I'm not hurrying. I am putting out two books a year, but I'm not trying to rush. Um, I will say this, um, it used to be that I would I was writing approximately a book a year, and a lot of times that book was not yet under contract. 
when I finished it, my agent would attempt to sell it. And my ideas were much fewer and farther between. Like I would finish something and it might be a really long time before I got an idea of what else to write about. Now I'm on a two book a year contract. I don't have that kind of luxury. When I finish a book, I have to have an idea for a new book and I have to get it started. Interestingly, it's, I have discovered, I told my agent a, a year or so ago, I think this two book a year thing is turbocharging my imagination. Mm-hmm. Apparently it turned out, it turns out that imagination is, is less like a bucket of something that you're in danger of getting to the bottom of and more like a muscle that I gets that. better shape as you, as you work it. Mm-hmm. It seems like the more ideas I get, the more ideas I get. Wonderful. So, I mean, that's not exactly understanding. Well, who really understands imagination, you know? Those things we dream so of. We can, I mean, we can, you know, we can read the benefits of imagination, but do we really understand it? True enough. It's it's sort of like teaching writing to someone. Uh, it's there. <laughs> yeah. It happens so... in some way. It's one of those things, yeah, you you kind of like, you know, suit up and show up and be there when it when it is ready for you rather than, you know, I don't really necessarily have the sense that these that my very talented brain is somehow magically creating these things. I almost feel like like it doesn't come from between my left ear and my right ear feels almost like I just asked for an idea and one comes from the outside. That may not be true. That may just be how it feels. I don't know. But um, there's a sense that it's like, you know, this this is not entirely original. I mean, you know, basically the idea of a writer's muse is just that you better be sitting at the keyboard when it shows up. You can't make it show up, but when it does, you better be ready to take dictation. Be in the chair and be ready. In the chair with your, yep, with your fingers poised over the keys, yeah. I I will also mention that you write female characters very well. Um, Oh, thank you. Yeah, Allie and B being one of my favorite examples of that as well. Nice, yeah. I haven't thought of Allie and B for a while. You know, there's a tendency, because I do two books a year, there's a tendency to kind of like really just sort of move on. I'm not suggesting I never think about these again, but somebody can mention a book that's a few years old and I'll be like, oh yeah, I haven't thought of that for a long time. Um, <clears throat> I think it's harder for some authors to write in the opposite gender than others. And I I honestly think that probably the reason it's fairly easy for me is I'm not the most feminine woman that ever came down the pike, you know? I mean, I, I'm relatively androgynous. I, you know, I have a lot of the, you know, the drive and the you know, various traits that are more associated with the male psyche. But I'm not. I mean, I'm not. I am female i just you know like there are some men who are more in touch with their feminine side and i think it would probably be easier for them 
to write a book from the point of view of both a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. And then there are other people who just like really, really would have trouble stretching across that divide. So for whatever that's worth, I just think I'm a little middle of the road with some things like that. As you mentioned, we're we're all human. So yeah, there is that, 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 that is core. true. And again, that's one of those kind of surfacey differences. We can make it a big deal if we want to, mm-hmm. but I don't know how big a deal it is. Certainly not at, at, at a level of emotions, like how do you feel? What do you want from life? You know, I don't Those think it's the biggest factor. So out of your vast array of books, do you have a comfort place, a place that... Um is perhaps the one that you return to, that you enjoy looking back at, that, that it continues to be rewarding? Of the books, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I I particularly like... Um, uh, it's funny. I start, to, I start to say the book, I know the book, and I have all these titles in my head, and like three of the wrong titles immediately come up. Again... That's a high-end problem. Uh, the one that you mentioned, uh, Boy Underground. Yes, yeah. Is one of my favorites. And yeah, another one of my favorites too. is, um, have you seen Luis Velez? And I started to say, have you seen Luis Velez? And instead, what came into my mind was so long, Chester Wheeler, probably because they both have a complete name in them. I'm working really hard at this point to make the titles distinctive. And and I have problem with, sometimes I have a problem with, I love my publisher, but I have a problem with publishers who want to title them things like, you know, the days of whatever, you know, and I'm like, that could be any of my books. It's like, people have to be, if I can't tell them apart, <laughs> how are readers going to tell them apart, you know? Uh, for years, um, becoming Chloe, was my favorite of mine but that that was published in 2008 and uh i still have a heart connection with it but i'd like to think that when a decade or so goes by that i'm doing better things of course better is in the eye of the beholder so and i do like chester wheeler too even though i kind of didn't really expect to in some ways i mean i didn't really expect for it to be one of my favorites it's it's it has more humor it's a little edgier it doesn't have a young person in it i mean one of them is 24 but that's not a young person um it doesn't have animals in it it's it's a little bit less sweet it's it, but it, it i don't know there's something about it that i find myself like lines and scenes will come up as i'm going to sleep at night which is a good sign i think yeah, those those pieces that come back. Yeah, yeah, just things that I go over and I go, oh yeah, I remember that. So, are you heading for a book tour as your next book is coming out? Do you do a lot of those no. things in between? <laughs> From what I've heard, he those are tiring. No, they're awful. They're absolutely awful, and I just could not be more happy that they are gone from my life. Um, Fortunately, my uh, publisher is an Amazon-owned publisher. 
And so I sit home and write new books and they promote me on Amazon. Lovely. <laughs> and they do not force me to go into bookstores in the hope that more than eight people show up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and let's face it. I mean, that's an awful long way to fly to hope eight people are going to show up. That's true. And my dog was always very unhappy. Mm -hmm. I was touring. So I'm really, really happy. Like even things like this, to be able to meet with book clubs, do interviews, um, you know, promote your book from my easy chair. That's my idea of heaven. It's not I that I'm it. lazy and I don't want to move. I just being home-based is a good thing. Book tours were really brutal. But I've heard. People yeah. who think of them as glamorous generally haven't had one yet and they're more than welcome to try they can go out there and do the book tours while i sit home and i i love um talking with people from the comfort of my home and getting to meet authors that yeah. i love um of whom you are one uh and getting to share about your work this way as well yeah and especially when the when the pandemic rolled around it it didn't mm -hmm. stop me from, you know, meeting with book groups and doing interviews and things like that. So, and my dog is really happy. Yes, this, this is and important. I this, yeah, I have this theory that if your dog is happy, you're probably living right. Mm -hmm. If you, I mean, if you think of the things that make a dog happy, then I have to think like the happier your dog is, probably the better you're doing. I can definitely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean you know to make your dog happy you spend time outdoors you play you cuddle you know get a lot of exercise i mean yeah make your dog happy it's i believe it's the key to life and the home is a home you have to be home right and life. right and <laughs> right exactly go out and do something fun but then home is is important yeah absolutely I, I will not keep you. Um, I appreciate your time and your willingness to oh, be absolutely. part of a podcast. My pleasure. And, and wonderful to meet you. Um, I'll be sharing this so that listeners can hear about the new book and, and go and discover so many of your other books as well. Um, there's so much to dig into and so many wonderful words and stories out there that you've shared. Thank you. There is a backlist. I will say that. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. It was nice meeting you too. I appreciate your having me here. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Okay. Thanks. And, uh, yeah. Thank you so much. Okay.